Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. And we hear those words, and we and we hear those words. It flashes back to a story um, that we're, that we read in the Gospels, and so I'm just going to read it. It's actually recorded in three of the four Gospels. I'm going to read the recording of it in in Luke, in Luke. Chapter 4, starting with verse 14, this is what it says. And then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, where did he return from? He returned from his temptation. He had been in the wilderness being tempted by, the, by Satan. And what it says in verse 13. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues and being praised by everyone. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered a synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed and to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, as you listen to this scripture, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And so we read these words of Jesus, where he is basically declaring, this Isaiah 61 prophecy, this prophecy that the reason, so the Advent uh, scripture, if you're following the lectionary, and some of you guys have been doing that since we incorporated that, if you've been following it, it actually just has the first three or four verses of Isaiah and then skips down to verse eight and it skips the middle part. I like the middle part because it reminds us that this was not a... Uh, messianic prophecy to these people. To these people at this time, this was very real uh, to them because it talks about, here's what I'm about to restore for you guys. So it very much was a prophetic word that was given to them in exile, prophesying God's returning blessing to them, that he's going to restore things back. He's going to do that. So for them, it was very much a a prophetic word to them in exile that God brought forth, but God also used it. Jesus also incorporated it into saying, hey, but this is also true of me. I have come to do this as well. Why? Because I'm also God. That God that was speaking through the prophet Isaiah is me, and I'm just wearing human flesh right now. And I'm speaking to it, and that's, I'm still about the same business that I was in exile. Now, here's the deal. You guys have been in exile, and you think it's because of the Roman captivity, but you've really been in exile for your sins. And that is where Jesus came in and said, we're going to fix this. But the interesting thing, and I remembered as a kid, the first time I heard, I mean, not even as a kid, as an adult, uh, but I was 23, so I was kind of a kid. I graduated from Clemson uh, in December. Uh, a week later, I moved in to, to uh, Bowling Springs, North Carolina, began my seminary career, and was looking for an opportunity to get some practical experience in ministry. I got hired by this church in Kings Mountain, and the 
pastor who was there was an interim pastor. His name was Donald Mitchell, and he taught me a tremendous amount over the, the next 10 years before he passed away. And one of the first things that he taught me was here I am, this kid that grew up in, a, in an evangelical church. Uh, and so this lesson of being saved from things, right? Like when I was a kid and we'd have an altar call, it was, you know, you don't want to go to hell. You don't want to spend eternity apart from God. You're being saved from this punishment, from this, you know, eternal damnation into God's kingdom, into God's family and into heaven. And some of that, you guys hearing that, that resonates really strongly. Um, so here I am, I'm sitting in this Presbyterian church and I'm, I'm, I'm in charge now of this, you know, small youth group. And I remember sitting there the first Sunday night and it was just the middle school kids or the first Wednesday night, it was just the middle school kids and their parents were all there. And Dr. Mitchell was there. And look, looking back on now, it was kind of weird at the time. I, I had never, this is my first week, so I'd never done anything. So I didn't know. So I'm going about it and I feel this compulsion to just because of the way I brought up like we had an altar call at every service and it was constant and um, even if nobody came it was still offered constantly and um, I remember sitting down with Dr. Mitchell later the next week and um, he was just like hey you know you know that was good but let me ask you something you're using this language of being saved which we do see in scripture and whatnot but let me ask you you know uh, when you're talking to kids, you know, make sure that we're fleshing that out because, you know, what are, where are we being saved from versus, and, and when he said that, it was kind of a shock to my system. I'm like, okay, I may be in a cult here. I'm not really certain what's going on. This is all I've ever known. But he kept talking and he said, you know, there is a thought. And he used this, Isaiah 61, to me this day in February in 2001, far removed from Christmas, far removed from messianic prophecies to say God is also saving us to something. And so that's the question. What, salvation is what? Salvation, is it from death, hell, sin, the grave? Yeah, it could be all that. I mean, we believe that if we follow Christ, that we will receive reward, that we will uh, spend eternity with Christ. But the contrast to Isaiah, he challenges his readers to name salvation as a quality of life, not an escape from something, but as a quality of life here and now that reflects God's desire for, his, for the human community. In, in other words, for Isaiah, salvation wasn't something otherworldly that happened at some time in the by and by that we go to, and now we're saved from this other place that is also otherworldly that we're not going to see until we reach creation. But for Isaiah, it was not being saved from, but being saved to. Let's read this again. Verse 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our Lord's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion and to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive olive oil instead of mourning and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. 
And if we flip down to eight, we will skip that part where it talks about, but he goes through all these things about how he's going to rebuild the city and they're going to come and live there. You notice he's not talking about, I'm going to keep you guys secure until you pass away and then you're going to be redeemed. But he's telling them, I'm going to bring salvation to you here. For I, the Lord, verse 8, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and I will make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their posterity among the people. All who see them will recognize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exalt in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and a bride adores herself with jewels. For as the earth produces its growth and as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise and spring up before all nations. This is very much a message of salvation to God's people for now, not for later. And that's a message we need to know. It's a message we need to believe. And it's also a message that folks who don't know Jesus need to hear. That they were not necessarily being saved from something, but they were being saved to something. To what? To justice, to mercy, to love. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, Freedom to the prisoners. The prisoners did something wrong. That's why they're in prison. To proclaim, verse 2, the year of the Lord's favor. What does that remind us of? Leviticus 25. God institutes a little thing that we only read about one other place in Scripture. It's the year of Jubilee. And what was that? It was a space where God said, every 50 years, I want to just do a hard reset. I want to come in and say, okay, everybody who's had to sell their family land have gone into debt and had to now become indentured to someone until they pay that debt off. To everyone who is is owed and to everyone who owes, we're just wiping the slate clean. Land's going to be returned. Debts are going to be repaid. Not repaid, actually just wiped. And it's going to be a year of jubilee. Now, there was never a mandate to say, okay, the following year you can't go into debt. You can't. It was almost an idea that we're going to institute this every 50 years because we know that that's the human condition and it's going to happen. But I want my people to understand that we're just going to do a hard reset on all this. We don't. Uh, we don't love that <laughs> unless you're the one in debt, right? If you're the one that it's owed to, it's like, what in the world, man? But that's, I mean, it's almost as if God's saying, we're just going to level the playing field, like, constantly. I don't, I don't want this big disparity between people. Like, we're just going to level the playing field. And you're going to find your way, yourself ways to be frivolous with your money and to overspend or to find yourself in some sort of indebtedness. And it's going to be your fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's going to be yours. But I'm just going to come in and say, hey, but we're going to wipe the slate clean because I want us to be a people who live life differently, who do things differently, who engage differently. 
who can see the value in every person regardless of how poor their choices are. And if we look at uh, the whole of salvation, that is what Christ did. Christ came in and said, I'm about to wipe the slate clean, even though you deserve it because you lied or because you... And, and we can do like we do with finances or anything else and say, well, you got yourself in that, get yourself out. I didn't get myself in that bad of debt. I got myself in debt that I could pay back. I just told a lie. You know, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't become an alcoholic. I didn't have an affair. I didn't do whatever it is. And we'll list them all and say, this makes, this is why I'm not quite as bad as that other person. And for the believer, uh, for, for Israel that time, I'm sure it was the same way. And we can very easily do that saying, hey, you got yourself in way too much debt. That's your fault. But Jesus says, I want to institute something where he's just wiped the sleep clean. As people of God, that should be something that we constantly favor because that is the gospel message. Jesus came in and said, I'm going to do, for some, do something for you that you can't do for yourself. You're in way too far over your head. You're in too much debt. You can't repay it. You owe it. And in fact, we argue and say, oh, well, the government shouldn't do this or people shouldn't. And you're right, the government shouldn't. The people of God should. We're not, we're not beholden on any uh, earthly system to tell us to be obedient to what God has told us to do but it's hard, and we don't do it. It's, we don't hear until Josiah hears the law again hundreds of years later after it was buried in a wall in the temple, and they find it, and they read it, and they hear this, that they implement this year of Jubilee. It's the only other time we hear it through all of Scripture. We don't know if they ever did it. Did they ever listen and be obedient to God on that one thing? Because that's pretty tough. But this is what Jesus did. And this is when Jesus picked up the scroll and announced himself. He didn't say I'm the Messiah, but he basically said it. Now this has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am this person who has come to do these things. That's what he hearkened back to. Paying for something that someone else couldn't pay. Doing for something for someone else couldn't do. Doing something for someone else that they didn't deserve. And this is what Jesus did. There's a pastor from North Carolina who said this, if salvation is not another place in time, but the reality of this world as it should be, what Christians have come to call the reign of God, then Isaiah asked us to think about how we might participate in ushering in what is, theologically speaking, the real world. Being, miss being missional in light of this passage means profoundly challenging all forms of cultural Christianity that would make church an end to itself, a community of the saved devoted to maintaining a building and set programs and the fellowship of the like-minded. That is what we have typically come to define as church. And Jesus said, here's what it looks like. I have come to bring freedom to the oppressed, to set the prisoner free, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And this sounds like really good news if you're oppressed, if you're captive, if you're brokenhearted, if you're a prisoner, if you're that person indebted, man, this is fantastic news. 
where we sometimes get mixed up is we fool ourselves into thinking that we aren't those people. And as a result, they should pay the price. They should pick themselves up by their bootstraps. They should do whatever it is. And Jesus said, no, I have come so that it's not that hard for them. And if God is calling us to follow in his footsteps, which he did, one of his last instructions to the disciples was, do what I taught you to do. And this was one of his very first teachings that we get in Luke. This is who I am and this is what I'm about. If that's what Jesus is about, that's what we should be about. And so Isaiah, if we go back to Isaiah, Isaiah reveals what salvation looks like. What is this proper form of mission? Well, let's break it down into two different places. The first is that salvation happens when believers turn their attention to those that Scripture names as recipients of God of this good news, right? Who does Isaiah say is recipients of this good news? Well, we just named them, the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the prisoners, the captives. And he lists even more in that. But he goes in to say, you know, this is who they're going to be and this is what it's going to be. And that is who the Spirit of God in Isaiah and then Jesus himself said, this is what we want to turn our attention to. So we begin to see this kind of missional process play itself out when we turn our attention to to those folks, to the oppressed, to the captive, to the brokenhearted, to the prisoner. The prisoner is the one that always gets me because that is the one in all those situations that we know is there for a reason, right? Like if he just said the brokenhearted, and I've had my heart broken before, then it wasn't my fault, right? I mean, I remember telling my mom and, and any parent that can flash back to when they were a new parent. I remember being uh, in Nicaragua and we're adopting Jude. And man, we used to put him down for this nap. And my bud wasn't having it. And Jude was a great sleeper, but he had been used to being in this orphanage where there was you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 kids around at any given time. And now he's just with two other people and that's it. And we're putting him in this room for a nap at like one or two in the afternoon by himself. And he is just losing it. And we're sitting in this really quiet neighborhood uh, in this guest house and there's nobody else there. They're all gone for Christmas. Uh, All the missionaries have gone back for Christmas. So there's some locals there who stayed. So there's some people who live there, but man, he is screaming his head off. And Natalie and I used to just sit outside of the room. And I mean, it was heartbreaking, right? And it was like heartbreaking just to hear him cry. So as a parent, you may remember having a newborn or having your first child and seeing them cry and seeing the pain or the fear in their eyes. And it is heartbreaking. I didn't do anything to deserve that heartbreak, right? We just adopted you, but it was heartbreaking. I've been in relationships and in friendships, and it's been hurtful. And it wasn't my fault. There are people that we can read about throughout the world who are oppressed through no fault of their own. Slavery is uh, higher now, and I'm sure you've heard this. There's more people enslaved now than there ever was during the Atlantic transatlantic slave trade. And it's no fault of their own. Wrong place, wrong time. An uncaring family member who was greedy, you know, all these other types of ways, but they, they weren't, they're not being oppressed because they did something, right? Um, 
the captives, you know, in this day and age. We don't see it a lot now because countries aren't really taken over to the Babylonian Empire. And then later when Jesus reads it again, they're captive to the Roman Empire. So now they're being ruled by somebody else who's not theirs. That's not their fault. They didn't choose that. They didn't vote on it. They didn't do anything. It was what was forced on them. But the prisoner... You're, you're not 100% of the time, but most of the time you're in prison because of something you did. And Isaiah, God spoke through Isaiah, and God doesn't leave the prisoner out. And the interesting thing is when Jesus was reading this, he could have stopped at any point. He didn't leave that out either. And so... so Mission of God takes place when we begin to turn our eyes to all those people. The oppressed, the brokenhearted, the captives, the people who find themselves in a bad situation through no fault of their own. But also the prisoner, the person who finds themselves in a bad situation, and it is their fault. Because God's saying, you found yourself in a bad situation, right? You found yourself in need of sin because you craved it. You enjoyed it. You thought it was fun until it wasn't. And now you're in need of a savior and you're looking to me and I'm going to graciously provide this because I love you, not because you deserve it. And when we can turn our our heart to that, we begin to take take part in the mission of God here on earth. It was the one thing when Jesus sat down in the temple and, and he, or in the synagogue, he said, this is fulfilled in your presence through me. This is what I've come to do. This is what I've done. And then we follow Jesus' ministry, and what did he do? Healed the blind, the lame, set the captives free, right? Even the people who didn't deserve it, the tax collector, Zacchaeus up in the tree. He's a bad guy. He didn't deserve it. Jesus did not care. He said, this is what I've come to do. And a lot of times for the church, we want to play uh, the person who gets to pick and choose who gets God's mercy and grace, or at least our mercy and grace. We don't get to pick and choose who gets God's mercy and grace. We realize God does that and he does what he does, but we've got to be faithful stewards of what God's given us. So we can't just give it out to anybody. Interestingly, is that was never Jesus's position. <laughs> he said, I'm going to give it to everybody, even though, even though they're going to take advantage of me. I'm going to give it to you, even though you're going to take advantage of me. And that's good news. That is real good news. Second thing is mission happens when the world notices the people of God living differently. Right? Well, what, is, what does Isaiah say there in verse 9? He said, Their descendants will be known among the nations and their prosperity, posterity among the people. People are going to notice how you're living and what you're doing. All who see them will recognize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. When we begin to live this kind of way and notice these people and live life differently than everybody else, because everybody else is doing what? You know, we pass the person on the street and say, well, I'm not going to give to this person because they may use it for something that's no good. They don't deserve it. I'm making this judgment call now. Or it's not my judgment call to make. I feel like God's Spirit is telling me to to bless and to give, and so I'm going to bless and give. Trust that God is going to take care of that. 
And when people see that it's different, it's like, why in the world are you doing that? Well, guess what? We get to live our lives in such a way that it demands an answer from other people. And we can say, because God has richly blessed me without deserving it, and regardless of whether this individual, this family, this situation, whatever it is, deserves it, I'm going to do it. And when we begin to do that, we begin to usher in the reign of God, the rule and reign of God here on earth as it is in heaven. We get to be a part of that. And now that we find ourselves in this Advent season, this season of preparing our lives, what they're calling us to, what Scripture is calling us to, is to be a place or to be a people whose hearts are prepared and who are ready for the second advent. The first advent prepares us for the second. The first advent provided for us what we needed for the second coming. The second coming was that of judgment, is going to be that of judgment, right? The first advent is that advent where God came to pay the price for the later one. Right? And so we received everything we needed then for the second advent. And so scripture is constantly calling us. Remember back to the scriptures we read right before we went to advent of the, the ten, the, the ten um, bridesmaids, right? And the, um, the, uh, the servants who didn't use the talents correctly or the one who didn't and the other two who did. And there was this call to constantly, like, and then the sheep and the goats, like, be ready. Be prepared. How are we going to be prepared? Do the work of Jesus. What was the work of Jesus? I have come to set the captives free, to bring freedom to the oppressed, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the prisoner free. This is my mission. This is what I'm about. What other mission do we have? than to be obedient to what Christ has called us to do, what Christ did himself and is calling us to do. A restored Israel, so the same pastor up in North Carolina said this about this uh, text here, a restored Israel living as a jubilee community, right? This community that forgives debts and forgives these things will stand as a sign of God's blessing to the nations around it a kind of sacramental enacting of the salvation towards which it points. To be missional is to live as a people of good news, liberation, justice, comfort, in such a way that it would make the world take notice and be drawn to the ways of God. Just as this Isaiah imagines all nations streaming to a glorified Jerusalem that we read in Isaiah 2 too. There's this picture of people streaming to this because of what they see. And that reminds us, what did God say? He said, let your light, remember the light of the world, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and they what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That is what we are called to do. That is what that is a challenge we get from Isaiah this Advent season is to be a people who... Don't pass judgment, but just look for ways that we can set the captives free. Look for ways that we can heal the brokenhearted. Look for ways that we can free the oppressed and, and set the prisoner free, that we can be people who live our lives in such a way that people see that and that the second half of Isaiah 9 would be true, 
that all who see us will recognize that we are a people that the Lord has blessed. Who can forgive debts? Only people that God has blessed. We can't do that without God's blessing. We can't do that. We can't set the prisoners free and free captives. We can't even heal broken heart unless God gives us what we need to do that, the compassion we need, the, the grace we need, the mercy that we need. All those things are things that God has called us to and that he did himself. And so this morning, as we walk through these last days of Advent, let us, not re- let us remember not just that Jesus came, but why Jesus came. So it's, it's fantastic to remember that Jesus came, and we do that a lot during Advent season. But let it not just be that we remember the fact that Jesus came, but let's remember why he came, to usher in this jubilee celebration that would have no end, that we would be these people who are constantly allowing God to work through us, to heal the brokenhearted, free the oppressed, set the captives free, bring freedom to the prisoner. You get the sense... Jesus came for freedom. Jesus came for freedom. And it's to that freedom and to that God who brought that freedom that we pray this morning uh, for ourselves, but also for those who we mentioned earlier who are dealing with COVID and uh, maybe who are dealing with other forms of oppression, captivity, or brokenheartedness. And so this morning, we're going to come to that God, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a couple more songs as we worship him and thank him for being that God for us. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that you allow us to be people who love and serve you. We're thankful that we have been called sons and daughters, and we're thankful that what that means for us is that we have been provided this freedom, that we have been provided this um, grace from you, that we can walk and live in freedom, and because we have just like it says in 1 John, that we love other people because you first loved us, we can heal the brokenhearted because you healed our broken hearts. We can set the prisoners free because you set us free when we were prisoners and enslaved to sin. God, we can do all these things only because you have done them first. And so for that, we are supremely thankful. You are the creator of, our, of all things, including the physiology of how our bodies are put together and all the things that entails. So this morning we pray for those within our community who are dealing with COVID, that you would heal their bodies. That you would keep those that they have been around free from having that same fate of dealing with this, this virus. God, for people around the world who are struggling with it, we Lift them up. We know that you are a God who provides. And we're thankful that you have. God, this morning we pray for all those who find themselves this holiday season in need of hearing this good news. Would we be people who can live life differently? Where we not only tell this good news, but also display this good news by the way that we live. We can only do that through your Holy Spirit. For that, we're thankful. Amen.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.